on, let's stand and take our Bibles, please. John chapter 21, John chapter 21. Believe it or not, we are almost at the conclusion of preaching through the book of John. How many have been blessed by going through the gospel of John? Amen? It's been a blessing there. John chapter 21, we've got a lengthy passage I want us to read uh, for this morning, so here's what we'll do. I'll read the odd number of verses. I'd like to ask you to read the even number of verses, and let's read loudly and distinctly the Word of God this morning. If you're a visitor and guest today, we're thankful you're here. I'd like to ask if you do not have a King James Version Bible, you might want to look over the shoulder of the person next to you and let them share their Bible with you so we can make sure you're following from the, from the, the, the right translation this morning. And uh, we're reading from the King James Version Bible, and hope you'll just get, get blessed and encouraged by that. I urge you to be back tonight for our evening service. I'm literally looking forward to tonight's service, and we'll be in the book of Nehemiah for a few minutes this evening, and spending some time in prayer and preparation for Friend Day, and why don't you just get your heart ready for that, and we're praying for a greatly attended Friend Day, and for many, many people you and I know that, uh, that will hear the gospel that day and come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. Chapter 21 of John. I'll start. You read the even number of verses. We'll go to verse 14 and read verse 14 altogether. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias, and on this wise showed he himself. Congregation, there were together. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. And they say unto him, We also go with thee. And they went forth and entered to a ship immediately. And that night they caught nothing. Then Jesus saith unto them, Children, have you any meat? They answered him, no. Altogether? Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Altogether, verse 8. And as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon, and bread. Congregation, Jesus saith unto them, Simon Peter went up, and he drew the net to land full of great fishes. Notice this, 153. Now that was a good fishing tale, amen? 153 in that net. For all there were so many, yet was not the net broken. Congregation, verse 12. Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fish and likewise. Altogether, this is now the third time that Jesus showed himself to his disciples. After that, he was risen from the dead. I'll call your attention to verse 5. Jesus speaks to a a bunch of, I call them a rag band group of disciples who the night before did something they were very familiar with and yet had probably the most frustrating night of their life. And uh, they caught no fish. 
And I think as a fisherman, I can't think of anything more frustrating than going fishing and not catching anything. I mean, at least catch a boot or catch a can or something out of the water. Amen. They didn't catch a thing there. And uh, Jesus asked them a question, but he didn't say friends. Uh, you'll read, if you, if you read some commentators, they will say that the word is friends. That is not the word friends. The word is children. That's exactly what it is. It's the word paidon, which basically means uh, young, immature children, young, immature adults. And he says, children, have you any meat? That's a good question this morning. We wanted, in anticipation of what God's going to be doing in our church, I want to ask you the question, children, have you any meat? Father, thank you this morning. We've been so encouraged. The choir was just over the top again this morning, and the orchestra. Thank you, how Lord, the music ministered to our hearts, and the congregational songs which touched our lives. And for those who were able to make it to the adult growth group hour and the Sunday school hour, being touched and moved in their hearts by the teaching and preaching of your word. And now, Lord, we're getting really into the, the, the nitty-gritty of things here, and we're so thankful for the gospel of John and from John's islands as you led him to write that gospel and portraying to us the wonderful deity of our Lord Jesus Christ, that he was full of grace and truth, and to God, that the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And thank you, God, for the life of Jesus Christ, but more than the life of, of, of Jesus Christ, thank you for the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this morning as we come to worship you, we're reminded from last week, that Lord, we worship because of the resurrection, that Jesus rose again on the first day of the week, declared that the day of worship. We know back in the Old Testament, the Sabbath was a day of rest, but when Jesus rose from the dead, he established for us what real worship is all about, and we know the first day of the week, this day being the Lord's day, it is set apart to the Lord, and thank you for your, uh, your children here today who have come here to worship you and to identify themselves with the local New Testament church and identify themselves with the word of God. Lord, there's something in these verses of Scripture that's for everyone. And you help me, Lord, this morning to feed this flock, to feed their souls. I pray that you help each of us to take heed to what we hear. And I pray that you build us up in the word of your grace. And Father, Jesus, pray, sanctify thy people through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And Lord, we pray this morning that the truth of your word would sanctify us. It would set us apart. It would purge us. It would cleanse us. It would help us to be the people we're supposed to be for the glory of God. Father, we're greatly in need of the grace of God in our lives. We're greatly in need of your power and your enablement. Some are, are, are struggling in some areas of their lives, and I pray this morning they'll find victory in Christ. And others of us, Lord, who perhaps are going through a season of victory and uh, good things, just realizing around the corner there could be times of failure and frustration. And we want to be uh, proactive in our lives and realizing what we must do uh, according to the Word of God to uh, safeguard ourselves from those things from discouraging us. Help, Lord, when we leave today that we can say that the Holy Spirit has ministered to us and led us down a pathway of helping us to understand what is the perfect will of God for our lives. I pray for any here today whose hearts are empty lacking peace, and most importantly, are not certain about where they'll spend eternity, that before they leave this room this morning, they would come face to face with the reality that Jesus died for their sins and rose again from the dead, and that faith alone in the saving work of Christ can save them from their sins. Save souls this morning. Revive believers. Stir our hearts. Lord, give us a generation, army of soul winners that will go from this place and be used for your glory, and we pray for this now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Jesus asked the question, children, have you any meat? Those of you old enough to remember during the wars of all the fast food operations, you start out with the McDonald's and then you had the Burger Kings and the Jack and Boxes and then Wendy's came along and several others and now we've got like what, five guys and we've got In-N-Out and, and uh, whatever, Shake and Bake or whatever, I don't know what it's called, Shake and Steak or whatever it's called there, I just can't keep up with all of them there. You've got all of these, you've got Habit and all those things like that and 
And, uh, but back in the day, if some of you might remember, that probably the commercial, one of the few commercials kind of stands in your mind, was one of a, a, just a gentle elderly lady sitting there, and she bought a hamburger at, uh, at, uh, at one of the other franchises, and she, and she went to, it was a Wendy's commercial, and the question she asked, where's the beef? And, uh, you know, you might think as you look at verse 5, that's kind of what Jesus was asking. He says, where's the beef or where's the meat in all of this here? And uh, we're not getting into a commercial. We're not going to advocate or encourage you to get into the franchise business. If you do so, God bless you on that. But we are looking at the truth that's found here in chapter 21 about what you and I are supposed to do with our Christian lives. And we're looking this morning, chapter 21, about a local New Testament church. What is the church supposed to be doing? What are you and I supposed to be doing? What is this question that Jesus portrayed or threw at the disciples, these seven men? What does that have to do with you and I as we get to the closing of John chapter 21? And we'll notice this morning some things that catch our attention. Notice first of all, as we're still in the introduction, notice first of all in verse 1, it starts off by saying, after these things. Now you've got to remember as we get into chapter 21, we are coming out out of an incredible chapter dealing with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. These things being mentioned here is everything that, that happened and occurred in John chapter 20. In John chapter 20, we find that Jesus has been laid in the tomb. We find that Joseph of Arimathea begged for the body of Christ and took the body tenderly and gingerly off the cross. I've always imagined, what did he use to pull those nails, those seven-inch spikes out of his wrists and hands? What did he use to extract the, the, those seven inch or so nails or spikes out of his feet? I mean, what did he do there and how did he get, who, who helped him there? And, and we're told that a, a Nicodemus was there and perhaps Nicodemus assisted him. And I wonder to that man that as he just gingerly tried to get the body of Jesus down, was it just the two men? And the Bible really doesn't say and history doesn't really tell us. And, and you kind of wonder with the, the blood that was poured out of Jesus, how much of their, their own clothing had been, had been perhaps soiled and touched by the blood of Christ. And, and, uh, and then they get the body down and they carefully, the Bible says they washed the body and they carefully wrapped it in new linen that they had bought and there was a hundred pounds of aloes and, uh, and myrrh that they bought and they anointed the body and poured, poured all that on the body and wrapped it up and then Joseph said, you know, I've got a tomb that was dug out of a, of, out of a cave not very far from here, from, uh, from, from the place of Golgotha and so he and Nicodemus took that tomb there, he had bought it for himself, he bought one of those prepaid plants where basically he bought his own cemetery there and he thought, well, you know what, uh, I I'm not, I'm not dead right now. I'll just give it to Jesus. And, 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 you know, both those men just thought in their heart, heart of hearts, they weren't really anticipating thinking of the resurrection of Christ. They were just thinking, we want to give him a proper burial and put the body inside there. And then a, a boulder was rolled over that. And, and the, of course, the Jews were concerned that someone would come and steal the body of Christ. And so they put a Roman seal over that. And if anybody broke the seal, that that person would be guilty of a crime. It could be put to death by the Romans and for breaking the law. And they put some Roman guards around it to guard it because they were thinking, someone might, might steal the body. And so the night went by, Sabbath, the, the, the night went by, and then the Sabbath came. Then early that next morning, something miraculous, something that's never happened before, something that will never happen again, Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? He rose again from the dead by his own power. The angels came and rolled that old stone away. There was nothing for the angels. I kind of imagine in my, in my holy imagination, they probably just flicked their finger and moved the stone away. Amen? And uh, we find that uh, Jesus came out of those grave clothes. He didn't need any assistance. He's the Son of God. The power of God was at work, and he was raised again by the Spirit of holiness, and he 
just came out of those grave clothes and the linen clothes were there on the slab and the napkin that was around his head, he neatly just took it off himself and wrapped it together and left it on a side by itself there. And Peter, Peter and John, they, they got news from Mary Magdalene, some of the ladies who went there to put more anointing upon the body, that the stone had been rolled away. But Mary did not look that first time into the tomb and so she ran back and told Peter and John. And remember, now Peter and John and the disciples there, they traveled all the way from the area of Galilee there uh, to make their way over there to, uh, to, to Jerusalem. So they stayed at some place there. Probably was Mary's house they stayed at. And uh, they were there and they got word and they ran over there. John beat Peter there. He looked inside the tomb. He saw, he, he looked in, then he came back out. And then Peter ran inside there and he looked very carefully inside that tomb. The sun is just starting to rise. There's still a bit of darkness, but a little bit of light so he can see. He sees the linen clothes there. He sees the napkin that's folded there. And he's wondering in his heart of hearts what's going on. John takes a peek again. He looks inside. He sees the linen clothes, and, and John believes that Jesus is risen from the dead. The Bible says he saw and believed. Well, these two men, they go back, and they're wondering in their hearts, what happened to the body? Did he rise again from the dead? What happened there? Mary takes a good look inside, but she's not really paying attention. All that she's wrapped up with is that Jesus is gone, and Jesus has, and uh, she's, who took him? And she turned around, and she saw the, she looked inside, saw two angels there, and not even just so blinded by her own tears, and so overcome with grief, she talks to these two angels, and she says, where have you put him? Show me where you've put him, and I will bring back his body myself. I will recover his body so I can give the proper burial that it needs. And then she turned around and saw a man, and again, it's a little bit dark there, but, but I think Jesus just hid himself from her, and he spoke in a very familiar voice, but she didn't recognize the voice, and she said she thought he was a gardener. That's what John said. She thought he was a gardener, and she said, well, sir, tell me where you've laid him, and I'll bring his body back. And then he called her by name. He said, Mary, and she recognized it was the Lord. Listen, when it says after these things, what an incredible day that occurred. As the sun was coming up, our Lord and Savior rose again from the dead, and he walked down the road of Emmaus during that day and caught it with two disciples, and he had a meal with them, and he revealed himself to them. And they said, did not our hearts burn within us as he talked to us by the way? And then that night, as you read the remainder of chapter 20, Jesus went back where the disciples were assembled together. They were all there except for Thomas. They were assembled there together and they were conversing and talking about the day's events. And Jesus came in. And we have the initiation there in John chapter 20 of the very first Sunday evening service. In fact, the very first Sunday service. The precedent for why we worship on Sundays. The precedent why Sunday is called the Lord's Day because it's a celebration of our risen Lord. And everything that could have happened that was wonderful happened there. Jesus walked into that room of those startled and fear-stricken men. And he said, peace be unto thee. And that's just a wonderful thing. He said, have peace in your heart. I don't know about you this morning, but if today you're here and you're filled with grief and today you're filled with burdens and you're filled with heartache and you're overwhelmed with anxiety, my words to you are the same words of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace be unto thee. Let the peace of God rule your heart. Let perfect peace, which can only come from Jesus Christ, touch your heart and life. May I remind you today, if you're not saved, if you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, listen, the way to peace is realizing we must be at peace with God first. And we realize being justified by faith, we have peace with God. And he spoke those words and he recommissioned those men. He said, even as the Father sent me, so send I you. And those words burned in their hearts because Jesus repeatedly through all four Gospels 
at the end is reminding these men that they have a commissioning. They have a calling. They're to go out and preach the gospel. They have to remind themselves that the main thing, the main business of the local New Testament church is to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and to go out and plant churches and to raise up pastors and preachers and to get the work of God done. And listen, as a church, I want to encourage you this morning. We're 20 years old. I want you to embrace the concept and the mandate given by our Lord that we're to win souls and we're to preach the gospel and we're to plant churches and we're to be involved with missions and doing all of those things. And Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even so send I you. And he looked at them and, and he breathed on them, the Bible says, and he says, receive you the Holy Ghost. Oh, what a wonderful Sunday evening service. It was a spirit-filled service. It was a service where Jesus was present and the word of God was preached. But Thomas was missing. And you'll notice here, you get into John chapter 20, that the faith of the disciples was bolstered and encouraged, but Thomas was missing. And when Thomas came back, he said, except I see his hands and his feet, and except I see the side where the wound is, he says, I will not believe. Thomas was a skeptic. Thomas would not believe. Eight days later, Jesus reappeared to that room again. And this is the second time Jesus came to those disciples. And he came to them at that moment of time, and he presented himself to Thomas. He said, here, Thomas, put your hands into my hands, and put your hand into my side where the wound is that put it right there and when Thomas saw him he said my Lord and my God Thomas was converted from a skeptic to a man of belief he was converted from a man of doubtfulness to a man of great faith in God and we see in John chapter 20 when it says after these things it was a time when the Lord Jesus Christ had to encourage the faith of his men and to build up the faith of those disciples it doesn't matter how long you've been saved some of you just recently come to know Jesus Christ as Savior you're just a new Christian some of you've been saved for a long period of time and you're just starting to grow and trying to find your bearings and trying to establish where your feet are supposed to go. And many of you have been saved for a long time and you've learned how to exercise faith. But I want to tell you this morning, regardless if it's me or if it's you or whoever it may be, all of us are growing in faith. And all of us need to increase our faith. And all of us will have more storms and trials that will come along the way to help test your faith. You come tonight, I'm preaching on a passage of scripture that will bolster your faith. If you're going through pressures, you're going through difficult times, and you feel like your hands are getting weak and your feet are getting weak, when your knees are getting wobbly about what's going on, you need to come tonight and find what the Word of God has to say about having strong hands and strong feet and strong knees and being a strong Christian for the glory of God. So when he says after these things, all of these things had transpired and some time had gone by. Now we transition from John chapter 20 to John chapter 21. And the Bible says in verse 1, after these things that I just spoke of, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. Jesus would spend 40 important, critical days with those men before he would ascend back to heaven. And I want you to see this morning in John chapter 21 an appearance of our Lord that changed their lives. And did you ever fathom, church, that something that changes our life can change our family, can change a city, can change a state, can change the world. And what would happen on this less than 12-hour period of time change the lives of seven men? And I want you to notice as John is giving all this here, we're at the Sea of Tiberias. Did you see that in verse 1? The Sea of Galilee. 
Three years ago, this is where it all began. Some rugged commercial fishermen washing their nets, tired eyes, tired bodies, having spent the entire night out on a, on a body of water they were very familiar with. They knew every species of fish in that body of water. And Jesus came to those men three years before with words and a way and articulation only Jesus could say. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Three years before that, before this incident, on another time, Jesus had a great multitude of people came to see him. These are days after he issued that command, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And this crowd came to him and he looked around and he needed a platform to stand upon. And he saw two fishing vessels that were empty. One of them was Simon Peter's. And uh, he said, well, can I borrow your boat? And he got up on Peter's boat and he continued to preach to the congregation of people that assembled there. Then he turned to Peter, who was very tired and had been washing his nets with his brother Andrew and James and John, which were next door to them. They were fishing partners. He said, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a great draft. He said, launch out into the deep. He says, I want you to go to the deepest point of the Sea of Galilee and drop your nets. He said, I want you to drop it down as far as your nets can go, and you're going to get a great catch, because that's what a great draft means, a draft of fish, a great catch. An innumerable number of fish beyond your imagination. You'll have the catch beyond all catches. You'll have the catch that will be, never be repeated, will never be outdone. And they did that. And we find these disciples here, they remember that. And I don't know, perhaps as this is starting out in chapter 21, maybe in the recesses of their mind that's back there, but they're not even thinking about that. You see... They're at the Sea of Galilee. These men have gone from Jerusalem back to the Sea of Galilee. They have left Jerusalem. They're disheartened men. They're discouraged men. And foremost among them is Peter. Because Peter, when he saw the Lord, Peter did not confess to Jesus that he had sinned in departing from Jesus. And he'd sinned by denying Jesus. And, and Peter, of all, of all anybody, was very discouraged in his heart. He felt like as a man he failed Jesus Christ. And he felt like as a disciple he let the Lord down. And not only him but the other six men that were with him. They all felt like at Jesus' most important in time at his crisis we were not there we were not supportive of him only John was there and, and, and a bunch of the ladies that were just had a devoted heart and they're, they're just in their heart of heart they're thinking he came to us twice before in the upper room and he appeared to us and he came so gently and he gave us peace and he breathed on us the Holy Spirit of God but these seven men as we read chapter 21 we, these seven men have gone back to Galilee and these men are just trying to get away from what they face they're trying to get away from the death of Christ they're get, trying to get away from the bloody images in their mind they're trying to get away from the fact that there's, there's rumors going around that the disciples stole the body of Christ. They're trying to get away from all those things because deep down in their hearts, even though a great victory had occurred, they're, they're, they're just wallowing, if I can say that. They're wallowing in their discouragement. You know, the church can have great days. Church can have days of many people getting saved. And the church can have great days of great offering. The church can have great days of just, we can sense the power of God coming down on our services. But honestly, some of us in this room, we can feel discouraged in the midst of great things. We can feel discouraged when there's answers to prayer. We can feel like these men did as well. I don't know if I belong here. Was Jesus, did Jesus, was Jesus thinking clearly when he asked me to serve him? Did he really know what he got when he got me? And so we find these men here, we're going to see a story here as we unfold this we see these men at a familiar place where it all began. 
I see these men coming face to face with disappointment and discouragement, powerlessness, and how the Lord changes all that. You see, this morning as we look at this passage of Scripture, we're realizing today that there's only so much we can do. And then after that, we, we really need to have the Lord in our lives. Amen? We need God's power. And I'm going to tell you this morning, I mean, Hudson Taylor said it right. God's work done with God's power in God's way will attain God's results. And I'm preaching to some of you this morning, like me, have been in this church 20 years. Some of you for 15 years. Some of you for 10, and some of you are just new to the church. We've gone through the motions of the Christian life thinking, I can do it myself. Or we come to this place <coughs> where we're challenged, and then we say, I don't think so. I don't think it's going to happen. And we're going to see three lessons this morning that are practical lessons for Christians, practical lessons for the church. Because if this world is going to be impacted by a Heritage Baptist church, and if San Leandro is going to be impacted, your family is going to be impacted, and our Bay Area is going to be impacted, we've got to seize on these principles, these lessons that are found here in John chapter 21, so that we can understand God's work done with God's power and God's way will attain God's results. I want you to see three things with me quickly this morning. Number one, would you notice in verses 2 and 3, we see the misery of failure. Nobody wants to be a failure. Nobody wants to know they have failed. Nobody wants to get a DMV test and find out you didn't pass, amen? Nobody wants to get a, you don't want to get a blood test result and realize that you've got some, some areas of your blood test that are higher than they should be. Nobody wants to know they didn't get the job. Nobody wants to know they have failed. Nobody wants to be a failure. Notice we see some things this morning. Notice verse 2, they were together. This is interesting because these disciples, before Jesus was crucified, they were not together. They were divisive. They were fighting amongst themselves who should be in control when Jesus uh, uh, seated over the command of things. They, they were fighting amongst themselves who would be number one, who will sit at Jesus' right and the left. But these discouraged men, and there's seven of them were told, they were together. Let me just say this this morning as a church, let's be together. Amen. Let's be together about the things of God. Let's be together about what we preach. Let's be together about something. I was sharing with a group that I preached to this morning. The other day, the staff and I went on a, uh, down to attend a conference. I was asked to preach at this conference with three other preachers to encourage some of the younger pastors coming up. There were about 75, 80 preachers that were there and trying to encourage them about just staying with the stuff. And a lot of young guys are facing a lot of pressures today to conform to the, the culture and to conform to uh, practices and things that they think are very pragmatic in nature in terms of how to build a church and things of like that and so forth. And, and so they chose some of us and said, hey, they, would you come and preach us and encourage us about sanctification and so forth like that. And uh, some, of those, some of those guys, I think the biggest thing we're trying encourage all these men that let's be together about what we believe and let's be together about what we're doing and let's be together about those things and you know the Bible says things we're to strive together for the faith of the gospel but these men uh, 14 this situation we read verse 2 they were together they were together but together for the wrong reason and notice we see this in verse 2 it says they were together and were named five of the seven Simon Peter and now Thomas is there called Didymus which means little and Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee and the sons of Zebedee which were James and John and two other of his disciples who were not really 
sure they were. Maybe one of them was Andrew, Peter's brother. We don't know, and it doesn't really matter. But we find seven of these men together. They're together. And I want you to imagine with me, it's a, it's a crisp morning there on the Sea of Galilee. A very crisp morning where the familiar sea air is in, in their midst. And the sounds of rustling on the shoreline of fishermen getting their boats ready and, or get, coming back from a night of fishing and cleaning their nets and things of that nature and, and some getting ready for the next day. And I want you to imagine the sun coming up. It was a familiar sun, a familiar heat, a familiar humidity. They walked on sand that was very familiar to them in their sandals. The smell of fish in the air, the aroma, everything was home to them. It was a very familiar setting for these men. And uh, these men who should have been still back in Jerusalem waiting for Jesus, they had converged and made their way all the way back to the this area of Galilee by the Sea of Tiberias. And then Peter rises up in the midst of all this, and while they're sitting there waiting, they're just waiting for something to happen and not really waiting for Jesus there. Peter makes this abrupt statement. Notice if you would, verse 3. Simon Peter stands up and he says, I go fishing. Now that's a bad, that's not a bad thing in itself recreationally. I mean, you have an urge to go fishing, go fishing. Just don't go right now, amen. And he just gets up and he says, go, I go fishing. I didn't mean I'm going to carry a rod and a pole and, and some bait and some tackle and I'm going to put, a, put it over my shoulder. He's not, talking about, he's not talking about recreational fishing. He's talking about commercial fishing. I mean, you've got to remember this man is in his 30s, maybe his 40s, and he's cut his teeth for many years being an entrepreneur and a successful businessman. He knew all about the fishing trade. He knew about every species of fish in the Sea of Galilee. He understood fishing to the nth degree. He knew how hard the work was, but it just became part of him. He knew that his work toil would be, you get out, because the sun would start to set, you launch off your boat, you find the deepest and coldest spot on the lake, you cast your net down there, and you, and you just wait till the fish gather in, you pull up the great catch of fish, you empty them in your boat, then you find another spot, and you kept on going and going because fish are more active at night than they are in the daytime, you catch as many as you can, and that, that because that's your employment, you make your way back to shore, and somebody would be on the shore, one of the merchants would be there, and they would say something like this, have you any meat, have you any meat, show me your catch, and they were familiar with that, and they are hearing some of that go on at that moment in time. Peter is getting this surge in him. I know fishing. The air is very inviting. The sun is setting. I'm used to being a night owl. I'm a nocturnal animal, amen? I don't mind staying up all night and fishing there. And he makes this abrupt statement. Notice, I go fishing. And while that sounds okay, Peter's heart of hearts is not just going fishing, he's going away from the Lord. He's going away from the calling of God. He's going away from what Jesus called him to do. He says, I go fishing. He already been told by Jesus, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But he says, I go fishing. He put the I right at the beginning. You see, that's our challenge, your challenge and my challenge. We want to do our thing. I go fishing. I go traveling. I go doing my things. I'll play, I'll play it out and do my thing my way. And you can just say like Peter, we can say, I go and you fill in the blank. And it doesn't matter what the Lord says about it. It doesn't matter if God said he gave us permission. It doesn't matter if we've gotten God's approval. We just go on and say, I go and do my thing. And that's our challenge as Christians because we know as God's people, we know as God's people we're to read our Bible. We know as God's people we're supposed to pray. And we know as God's people we're supposed to be in church on the Lord's day. Amen. And we're to rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. Amen. Listen, don't come to church being down in the mouth and discouraged and thinking, I wonder what I'm going to get out of it. Hey listen, as long as you're in church, you're going to get something out of church. Amen. You're going to get something 
coming out of Jesus Christ. And so they, these men here, but they weren't in that disposition. They were thinking, well, we've, we've, got to, we've got to find something to do with our lives. And a lot of us get to the place where we get weary and well-doing, and we get tired of church, and we get tired of the Bible. We get tired of preaching. We get tired of singing. We get tired of the offering. We get tired of witnessing. We get tired of the challenges there. And because whatever it may be, because maybe the devil's infiltrated our lives and, and something has been diluted out of our lives, we, we get like Peter and we say, you know what, I just got to go and do my thing. A lot of us are like that. We got to do our thing. We got to do what we think we're good at. And I understand that. You come to church like this and you see a brother Danny Kwan who's a structure engineer. But he doesn't elevate his occupation. He elevates Jesus Christ in his life. Amen. Serving Christ, loving the Lord, a loving wife, loving children. Men like him, like Brother Dave Lau, are just, you know, they don't magnify what they do and how they do it. They're just exalting Jesus Christ and trying to be good servants of the Lord. And I can name so many of our laymen. I'm looking at Brother Long and others here tonight. Just so many of our good, a lot of good laymen in this church. By the way, we have a good church, by the way. Amen. And some of us look at that and say, I could never speak like that. What I could never, I don't have anything. I, couldn't, I can't give anything to faith promised missions. I can't serve the Lord. We look at that, and we get like we get like Peter. I go fishing, but notice Peter, he made a decision. I'm going. Hey guys, I know we're supposed to be with the Lord, but I'm going fishing. And what he really meant by that, he says, guys, I don't know about this preaching business, but I'm going back to what I know. I'm going back to what I'm used to. I'm going back to making money. I'm going back to taking care of myself. He says, you know what? I I can take pretty good care of myself. He said, I go fishing. And you know what? It's amazing when you make a statement like that, how probably it echoes in the hearts of a lot of people. Because Peter was not the only man thinking, I've got to go do my thing. There were six other men right next to him who were thinking the same thing. Hey, be careful how you spread your influence. Amen? Because when he said, I go fishing, what you notice, verse 3, all seven of them says, we also go with thee. All seven of these guys said, we're going to go too. Hey, they were thinking the same thing. They were thinking about, you know what, this, this preaching business and this, all this stuff. We saw what Jesus went through. We're really not sure that's what we want to do. We're not really sure we want to be, we want to embrace being committed. We don't really know if we want to embrace being sold out. We really don't know if we want to embrace what it means to have all night prayer meetings. And we don't know if we really want to embrace winning the world to Jesus Christ. We're not even sure if we know how to do it. You know what I mean, just look, we're fishermen. And the other six men looked at Peter and said, hey, we're we're going to go with you. And would you notice verse 3? They went out immediately. I mean, it's almost as if the ship was waiting for them to go. They got the nets out. They got in the ship. They launched out. They went to a familiar spot. They went fishing. They did what they normally did. One guy took control, maybe steering the boat. The other seven, they had multiple nets on the ship because they just didn't throw one net out. They threw multiple nets. They thought, as seven men, will have a better catch if more of us throw it out. They brought all the nets on board, maybe seven, maybe one for each guy. We don't know really there. But the Bible says, we also go with thee. I don't think any of those men had any intention of going fishing and not catching anything. Now, if you've had me go on a fishing trip, I want to catch something. Amen? You know? Uh, I don't want to be like I've been on several uh, uh, deep-sea fishing things where I've gone, I've caught something. The guys around me said, we didn't catch anything. And I felt so bad for them because they paid the fee and all those things. They didn't catch a thing. And, and you know, that could be a very disheartening day there. But notice here in verse, seven, verse 3, the Bible says, they went forth and entered to a ship immediately. But what you notice here, the miserable failure. And that night they caught nothing. That's miserable. That's failure. 
These men gradually over time, over one or two weeks' time, were getting farther and farther and farther from Jesus. Let me tell you this morning, your heart's affection for Jesus or for anyone, you don't lose that overnight. It's a gradual process. We've had time to let it stew and work its way in your heart and thoughts until it becomes emotion. One word describes their decision. Look at verse 3 again. Failure. That night, they caught nothing. They did what you're supposed to do as a fisherman. They dropped the net where you're supposed to drop it. They got to the place where they're supposed to go, but there was nothing there. They caught nothing. It led to nothing but failure. May I remind you tonight, we may think going fishing and going and doing our thing and going away from God and going and doing our thing will lead us, but it always leads to one thing. We're going to fish all night. We're going to do our thing. We're going to put all this effort out. We're going to work very hard, but the end result is we're going to be facing the disappointment and the misery of failure. Not about you, but failure's a bad feeling. Not about you, but failure makes you really second-guess yourself in a lot of things. The Bible says they fished all night. Caught nothing. Church, we're getting ready for a friend day. And forget if it's, even if it's a friend day. We can, we can have all the I's dotted, the T's crossed. We can have the strategic plan all ready to go. We could do our things the way we are. But I'm going to tell you, when we do it in our power, when we do it in our way, when we do it without the Lord, it always leads to failure. You can fish all night, and you'll catch nothing. We see a miserable night of failure. But you notice the second thing this morning. We end in verse 3, they caught nothing. What you notice in verse, now in verses 48, we see the mandate in fishing. We see a lesson about failure. We see a lesson about fishing because this all revolves around fishing. Now you have to remind yourselves, notice in verse 4, it says, when the morning was now come. I think for those men as the night was wearing on, it got to be a very long night. A night of casting the net over and over again, nothing being caught. I almost imagine in my mind that the fish actually were bouncing against the boat, but that the fish weren't sticking in the net. I almost imagine they thought, hey, we got a catch, and the fish got away. And I almost imagine all through the night, they said, hey, I think I got a catch, and the fish got away. And they feel the bites, even to the point, maybe even some fish jumped into the boat, and just as fate would have it, the fish jumped right back out of the boat, back into the water. I mean, these men had a near catch, but they didn't catch anything. I mean, it doesn't matter if you, it doesn't matter if you almost caught, caught the fish. If you didn't catch a fish, you didn't catch the fish, amen, you know? And so that's where they were at. And then you can imagine these men, they're feeling very dejected and discouraged. They're already discouraged by the fact they've decided they're going to they're gonna quit the ministry, and they're going to go on and do their thing. They're going to go fishing, and now they've had a whole night of failure, and they're second-guessing themselves, said, what happened to us? There were seven of us here. There were at least seven nets that went out. How come we didn't catch anything? What's going on? And the Bible tells in verse 4, when the morning was coming up. I'm going to tell you today, they were glad that the sun was coming up. They were glad that, that the dawn had arisen. And they were just thinking, let's just get the ship back to shore. And maybe they're making their way as we read this. They're making their way back to shore and thinking, we'll clean the nets, we'll call it a night, and we'll just go home and get some sleep and forget about this business because it just didn't work here. And as they were coming to that, they were at a point between verses 3 and 4. If you'll notice this, you may want to mark this in your notes. They were at a point in verses 3 and 4, they were at the lowest point of their lives. You know, when you're at the lowest point of your life, that's when you're going to listen. Amen? 
You're at the lowest point of your life. That's when you're going to pause for a minute and say, okay, maybe I did it wrong. And maybe I need to get some counsel. And maybe I need to know what does someone have to say about this. And between verses 3 and 4, these men are not bucking. They're not resisting. They're not rebellious. They're not fighting. They're not being stubborn. They're not being debating. They're not, argu- they're not being argumentative. These men are at the lowest place of life. And did you notice in verse 4, when the morning was now come, it tells us Jesus was on the shore. Can I tell you something? Jesus is always close by when you and I have failures. Jesus is always close by, and Jesus was still going on our heart. And a lot of times, because God allows, we have this individual soul liberty, we have this free will. Many, many times, God will allow you and I to go ahead and make those blunders and make those bad choices, make those bad decisions, so that we can learn we tried to do it without God, and that was a mistake. And Jesus stood on the shore. They thought, well, you know, they had they forgot that he's omnipresent, that he could be everywhere, and they just were thinking, well, maybe Jesus is still back in Jerusalem. And Jesus is on the shore. Would you notice he calls out to them in verse 5? None of them knew that was Jesus. Again, as I mentioned earlier, uh, if you were a commercial fisherman, as you would make your way back to shore and as the sun was coming up, there would be these merchants that sold the fish and they would ask something like this, Hey, have you any meat? But Jesus preceded the, the question, have you any meat, with the word children. Jesus said, children. Now that's kind of abrupt because that's basically saying, Hey, you immature young men, (laughs) you men who should know better, you men who are acting impulsively like little kids, he's basically calling immature, unwise young men. He says, children, everything mean, he was calling them exactly what they are. By the way, Jesus calls exactly what we are too. When we make decisions out the will of God, when we make decisions without the Lord, when we run ahead of God, or we run too far behind, Jonah ran too far behind, he ran ahead of God, and he ran too far behind. Hey, that's, we're immature in our decision. A lot of times we're immature in how we react. We get mad when we should be peaceful. We overreact. That's why the Bible says be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to wrath. We overreact. We may be, when we're immature, we're too angry. We get angry too easy. When we're immature, we misjudge people. When we're immature, we think people are against us. When we're immature, we have a lot of insecurities. When we're immature, we're not forgiving. When we're immature, we're tend- we have a tendency to be more bitter about our attitude. When we're immature, we say things we should not. When we're immature, we're quick to judge people by things without getting all the facts. I mean, you, you fill in the blank. When we're immature, we just don't make good decisions. And when we're immature, we act out of the flesh than out of the walk of the Spirit. And when we're immature, we're doing things our way and not, not God's way. And so Jesus rightly did what he did. He's calling out as the Son of God, as the deity of their life, as the God Almighty. He says, children! And maybe Jesus is speaking to you and I this morning. Maybe we've been immature in our thinking. Maybe we've been holding back like little kids, and maybe we're not really anxious to stand up and be like men. That's why Paul, when he wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, men, stand up like men. He says, don't be effeminate in your decision making. I want to encourage men today, don't stop being little boys and stop playing with your toys and rise up and be a man for Jesus Christ. Amen? Don't be a man who holds on to your toys. And he says, when I was a child, I thought I was a child. When I became a man, I thought like a man. He says, listen, be, be a child when it comes to malice, but in your understanding, be like a man. Quit you and be like men. And all of us as Christians, we need to realize there comes a point in time we need to mature in the faith and we need to stand up for Jesus Christ and stop living with hurt feelings and bitterness and anger and wrath and malice and clamor and evil speaking. And we've got to get to the place where we're not living with unforgiveness in our heart. And Jesus is talking to men who were not forgiving of themselves. They're talking to men who were not accepting of the hardships associated with the ministry. He says, children. And then he asked a question, have you any meat? 
Now, he knew they had a, they, they had a terrible night. He knew they had a night of failure. He knew they had a night of no, of no catches. And he says, have you any meat? Have you any catches? Have you any fish? Do you have anything to show for all your efforts? What do you have to show for what you've done? And I wonder this morning as we think about wherever we're in our Christian life, what do we have to show for our Christian life? Have you any meat? Did you catch any fish? You're doing it your way, but have you any meat? You're making your decisions and applying logic and street smarts, but do you have any meat? You're serving God in the flesh, hoping to succeed, but do you have any meat? You're trying to influence unsaved people in your power, but do you have any meat? Would you notice these men amazingly in verse 5? This is how low they were. And they answered him. Notice they, not one. Collectively, and I believe this was unanimously at one time, they all said, no. It's important to be honest with God. It's important to be honest with yourself. It's important to be honest to the people around you. And they frankly said, Lord, no. They, now, they didn't know with Jesus, but they just said, no. We don't have anything to show for a night's labor. We have nothing to show for all the effort we put out. We've got nothing to show. And then notice Jesus is only he could do. Notice verse 6. Because they could not go further until they admitted and acknowledged they had failed the Lord. And until you and I acknowledge that we failed the Lord, you can't go any further. He needed them in a place of humility. He needed them in a place where they acknowledge they were powerless. They couldn't get it done without him. And so Jesus gives them counsel in verse 6, a good counsel and good recommendation. He says, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. Now when Jesus did that, I want you to understand, this was deja vu for them. All of a sudden, something clicked in their minds. This is how we see how things unfold. And their minds are thinking back, hey, something like this happened just about three years ago. They're thinking when they were on Peter's boat and James and John's boat, and Jesus launched out into the deep and cast, launched out into the deep and cast your net, and you shall find a great draft of fishes. And Peter rebuffed Jesus. He told Jesus, Lord, I have fished all night, caught nothing. He said, Nevertheless, at thy word, I will cast a net for thee. Jesus had let down your nets, plural, but Peter said, I will let down my net, singular. He said, I will only put one net down. I've already combed the waters here. There's nothing there. The fish are way at the bottom. They're not going to come to the top. I'm not going to waste my time, but because you said so, I'll do it. He was being partially obedient to Jesus Christ. He was just doing things his way. And there's kind of a deja vu happening to these guys in verse 6, because Jesus said, now, okay, I want you to do this. Look at your right side and cast the net on the right side, and you shall have a catch. Look, look at it again. He says, cast your net on the right side of the ship, and you shall find. And he didn't tell them how many. He didn't tell them how many. And he says, you shall find. He says, just put it on the right side. Remember, it's already daytime, and typically fish, after a night of fishing, they get a little bit further down because the sun's coming up, and they don't want to be where there's warmth, and they get a little bit further down. He says, cast them on the right side. And these men could have rebuffed Jesus and said, no, we're not going to do that. But amazingly, they did exactly what he told them to do. They cast them on the right side. By the way, can I tell you this morning, whenever you read God's word, and whenever God's word is preached, God never steers us in the wrong way. 
God never tells us the wrong thing. And God never gives us bad advice. And God never gives us counsel that hurts. Hey, listen, get rid of the bad thinking the devil's putting in your mind that God's trying to take away from you. God doesn't want you to have fun. God doesn't want you to have joy. God doesn't understand where you're at. Listen, God knows all about that. And he does a better job of taking care of us than you and I could take care of ourselves. Get on the right side. The Bible says in verse 6, they cast their four, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. I wish I was on that fishing trip at that time, amen? Because they did it, they did it just kind of sheepish, and Jesus didn't tell them to put many nets. He said, just drop one net. Cast your net on the right side. They dropped the net, and the Bible describes this way. They had a great haul. Listen, that was a fisherman's tail, fisherman's tail. The Bible says here, right over here in verse 6, he says, they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. Listen. We read through this story here. The net was filled. With, I mean, they barely dropped it in the water. It barely descended to the depths. And all these fish congregated together. Well, how did that happen? God did it. Amen? God did it. And all these fish came into the net. And listen, the Bible describes it this way. He says, they were not able to draw it. In other words, it was hard from the pull. The weight of it, I can almost matter, imagine this, that the weight of the net filled with fishes actually made the boat to teeter-totter a little bit and tip to one side. And they're thinking, man, guys, we better, we better get on this side and pull it back over. And the Bible says they dragged it to shore. And the Bible describes it later on. Notice if you would, it says, uh, let's see here, verse 8. It says they, they, they were dragging the net with the fishes. And then it says later on, there, in verse 11, it says there were 153 of them. And they brought the net to land full of great fishes. I mean, when you look at this, this was a great, monstrous catch of fishes the Lord Jesus Christ gave them. I mean, they dropped the net one time. They fished all night, maybe for 10 to 12 hours. They fished and caught nothing. This one time, within seconds, they dropped the net. And there's 153 great fishes of all kinds that they capture. Can I tell you this? As Jesus was working their lives, they got a very good lesson on fishing. They learned that you're supposed to be a fisherman, but you've got to do it Jesus' way. And if you're going to be a fisherman, you've got to follow the Lord. He said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Can I remind you this morning, we've got to follow the Lord in his compassion. We've got to follow the Lord in his strategy. And we've got to follow the Lord and living a life that's glorifying to him. And we've got to follow the Lord by being obedient and volunteer and giving some time to go out soul winning and tell some people about Jesus Christ. Listen to me this morning. There's a lot of Christians in the room this morning. You're alive. You're just punching in and punching out. You're just doing your thing, going on doing your life your way. I'm going to go fishing. But you've never had the joy and the blessing of getting the gospel to someone that you've led to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to urge you this morning, let's get on the ship with Jesus. Let's get a net. Let's cast the net down. And let's go fishing and watch what the Lord does when we have God's power and God's way works. Look at what God does for you and I. But it gets better than that. These men have 153 fish, and I want to tell you, if I'd been out fishing for 10 or 12 hours, I'm ready to go to bed, amen? I want to get out of that water. I want to get on my stinky old clothes. I want to get on my perspiration. I want to get under the shower and wash all that off. I don't want to smell fishy, if you know what I mean, Amen? I want to go home, get to bed. I want to forget about that worst night. And listen, those men, you talk about an awakening moment. You talk about a spiritual jolt. Listen, at that moment of time, these men were jolted in their hearts. And notice it says here in verse 7 something very interesting. Someone among the seven recognized that this was supernatural. And someone among the seven recognized it was God that was at work there. And someone recognized there, these are the seeds of revival that God was giving us here. And in verse 7 it says, now therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved. Who is that? That was John. Now let me tell you tonight, this morning, John loved Jesus, but Jesus, when he loved John, John absorbed it. Can I encourage you this morning, if you're going through spouts of insecurity and indecisiveness, let the Lord love on you, amen? 
Let him love on you. Let his love saturate. Fill yourself with Romans chapter 8 and Ephesians chapter 3 where it talks about the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. And learn to love him because he first loved you. And let God just love all over you. Don't live your life trying to be an approval of Pastor Fall or live your life trying to be approval of Heritage Baptist Church and trying to be approval of this brother and that brother and this sister. This. The only one you need to please and be an approval of is our Savior Jesus Christ. Too many of us are looking for approval by people, and we want to get our peer approval, and we want to get our employer's approval, and we think, if the pastor approves me, then that means I'll have some brownie points. Listen, it doesn't matter if the pastor approves you, whether this church or somewhere else. What really matters is that you look in the face of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and say, Jesus, did I meet your approval? Jesus, are you happy with where I'm at? And this disciple whom Jesus loved, notice verse 7, he turned to Peter. He says, hey, Peter. Peter. And you got to imagine, I mean, there's fish splashing everywhere. This net is going backwards and forwards. It's splashing against the boat. They're trying to keep the boat upright. And they're just trying to get a handle on all this great catch of fish. And, and they hadn't counted it up at that time. We just know it was a great multitude. And it was very heavy. It was hard from the dragon. They thought, man, how are we going to get this boat? We're 100 yards away from shore. How are we going to get it back there? And right in the midst of this, John is right next to, to Peter. And he says, Peter, guess what? Guess what, Peter? And he says, what, John? What, John? He said, it's the Lord. It's the Lord. Can I remind you today? It's the Lord who gives the increase. It's God who blesses his work. It's God who saves souls. It's God who washes away our sins. It's the Lord who does all the work. You don't do the saving, and I don't do the saving. He does the saving. It was his shed blood, his perfect blood that was shed for you and I. It's the Lord. It's the Lord who builds the church. It's the Lord who uses us to win souls. It's the Lord out of his grace and goodness who inducts you and I to serve him. It's the Lord. And John recognized, he said, it's the Lord. Can I tell you today, if you're saved today, it's the eyes of the Lord. I love this in verse 7. When Peter heard that it was the Lord, Peter got revived. Peter's discouragement went away. Peter got an awakening. Peter got his old, the old spiritual fire back. Because John said, it's the Lord. And when he said it was the Lord, this is the first thing Peter recognized. He said, whoa. So I better put my fisher's coat on. Now, when it says he was naked, it doesn't mean he was stark naked. Don't get, don't get that in mind, okay? What that means is he only wore his inner garment. We would call the equivalent of the, uh, the underwear. But he had an outer uh, inner garment. He had an outer garment, inner garment. He only had his inner garment on. He took his, what he put on over that. He took it off because he's fishing and so forth there. And he didn't think anybody was looking. He said, well, wait a minute. I, I'm a little bit immodest right now. I've got to put my fisherman's coat on and go see the Lord. But notice Peter's response. He puts his fisherman's coat on, and the Bible says he cast himself to the sea. Now, Peter, when he heard it was the Lord, that man, that was music to his ears, and that was refreshing to him. And Peter, if you'll notice this past the scriptures, we might work our way through it. He, he swims all the way back to shore. He makes his way back to shore, and he leaves all the other guys by himself. I mean, that's kind of funny, because he's the one that led all those guys to get on the boat to go out to, to go fishing. He's misled all those guys to go out and get out of the will of God. And as Peter's the first one, he's saying, well, guys, I don't know about you, but I'm putting my fisherman's coat on, and I'm making my way to Jesus. Can I tell you this morning, it doesn't matter today if you've been away from God, you've been a little bit insecure and you've disappointed the Lord, get your fisherman's coat on and swim to shore come back to Jesus. Amen? And they learned something about fishing that night. They learned that one plants and one waters, but it's God who gives the increase. They learned that that calling of Jesus Christ to be a fisherman hasn't changed. And may I remind you this morning, that calling to be a soul winner for Jesus Christ, it hasn't changed. 
The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wife. Listen, this morning, Jesus asked the question, children, have you any meat? Children, have you any meat? I mean, we've got to face that question. It's a brutal question. It's a hard question. What do you have to show for your Christian life? What kind of product do you show? What kind of fruit is on your tree? What kind of souls will you present at the face of the Lord Jesus Christ when you appear before his judgment seat? What will the Lord see? Oh, I want to encourage you this morning. It's not very hard to live the Christian life if you just obey and it's not very hard to live the Christian life if you just do what he tells you to do. It's not very hard to live the Christian life if you just say, God, I can't do it, but you can't. Because they said it's the Lord. And I'll tell you this morning, there's no meat without the Lord's blessing. And there's no meat without the Lord's power. And there's no meat if the last the Lord is in it. Hey, this morning, make a determination. When we get to the close of service, God, I need you in every area of my life. God, I need you in my service. I need you in my speech. I need you where I'm weak. God, you know where I'm weak, but God, I need your help in my life. So they had a lesson on failure. And they had a lesson about fishing. As we close this morning, I've got to close real quickly. What you notice is this is the best part. They got a lesson on faithfulness. Real quickly, would you notice the passage? First of all, there's a faithfulness you and I must have to the Lord. Can I tell you this morning, if you haven't figured this out, faithfulness is a two-way street. In marriage, there should be no question in a husband and wife's heart that they're faithful to each other. Amen? There should be no question in your heart about that. It's not a one-way street. It's a two-way street. May I tell you today, church, we're the bride of Christ. He's the groom, the bridegroom. He should not have to question our faithfulness to him, our fidelity to him. And if you notice this passage of Scripture, we see, as we close it out, we see a lesson on the faithfulness God's people, God's church must have to him. And so notice, if you would, the Bible says here that they, they came to shore and... Um, they came to shore there, and they, 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 Peter swam his way to shore in verse, eight, in verse 7. And the verse 8, the other disciples came in a little ship, and it says they were not far from land, but as it were 200 cubits or 100 yards away, dragging the net with fishes. I mean, they were determined. They had this great catch. We're not going to leave it in the ocean. We're going to bring it in because the man on the shore asked him, children, have you any meat? They want to show this man because at that moment of time, some of them thought, well, maybe that's still a merchant man that wants to buy our fish here, and it's all coming together as they get to shore. But here's what I want you to see. As soon as they were come to land, notice verse 9, as soon as they were come to land, which you underline this, they saw a fire of coals there and fish laid thereon in bread. Now, I want to tell you something today. When we look at this, that sight of the coals of fire was a sight that burned in Peter's mind because not too many nights before that, he was at a fireplace warming himself, and there at that fireplace, it was there he denied our Savior three times. And there, at this morning time, it's the fire of coals is burning there, and he sees this fire of coals, and he's recognizing that he's coming before, he already knows as the Lord, and there's some things burning in his mind. Can I remind you this morning, as we look at this fire of coals, and it speaks us so vividly about the fact that one day, believer, one day, every one of us who are believers, every one of us who are saved, we're all going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ, and there our works will be tried by fire, determine whether they were gold, silver, precious stones, or wood, 
hay and stubble and will burn away. I remind you today, inside the heart of Peter and John, those disciples, deep down in their hearts was embedded there a teaching Jesus gave them about coming before the judgment seat of Christ. And in our faithfulness, beloved, I'm urging you today to recognize we're going to have to stand before God. Did we win people to Christ? Did we do our best for Jesus? Did we serve the Lord? Or did we just make our appearance and just show up as a religious person? Or did we show up as a devoted person for Jesus Christ? And we see here that they saw this, this fire of coals. And I remind you today, we're going to stand accountable to God for what we do with our life. Then there's the second thing we see. Jesus said to them when they, when they came to shore, bring of the fish which you've now caught. And I think the Lord's going to ask us when we get the judgment seat of Christ to produce what we've done. And he's going to help us along the way to give demonstration of what we've done. And the amazing thing is the Bible says in verse 11, Simon Peter went up. And why Simon Peter jumped in this? I think because his faith probably got bolstered more than anybody else. And he drew the net to land. Now that was incredible strength. He drew the net to land. The Bible says full of great fishes. And what you notice, God thought this was important enough. He gave us the number of fishes that were in that net. And I think when we look at faithfulness, not just that we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, but it reminds me this morning, in faithfulness, we have responsibility in reaching the fish of the world, the people of this world. 153 of all the great nations of the world, all the different ethnic groups. It's a reminder to us, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. We have a responsibility in the work of missions, of getting the gospel out and reaching as many people as can. Whenever you see a body of water like this, the sea, whatever, it speaks is about the masses of people. It's a picture of the world as a whole. We see over here that these men, they learned something about faithfulness. They had to appear before the Lord and give an accountability of what they did. And would you notice something else here about faithfulness? Again, Jesus said in verse 10, bring of the fish which you have now caught. We must be faithful in propagating the gospel. We not, must only be faithful in missions, and we must not only be faithful in, in what we stand before God, but we must be faithful in proclaiming the gospel. A little girl by the name of Hannah got saved, and she made an interesting insight. She was talking to her mother one day, and she said this to her mommy. She said, Mommy, I think Jesus has moved out of my heart. And the mommy said, What? And she was only five years old, very immature. She said, Honey, what do you mean Jesus moved out of your heart? Oh, she says simply this, Mommy. I didn't lose my salvation. I just think Jesus moved out of my heart and into my throat because I can't help but tell people about the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? And I think that's what we need to be as Christians. We need to get, we, need, we know the Lord's here, but we need to get him in our throats so we talk to the people about the Lord. Amen? Then secondly, as we close this morning, we see our faithfulness to God. But would you notice God's faithfulness to you and me and we're done? God's faithfulness to you and me. Would you notice this? When they were come to shore to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and there was fish laid thereon and bread. And then Peter brought, brought all this, these fishes up. And by, by the way, verse 11 says, yet was not the net broken. By the way, there never is a capacity problem when we're winning souls. Amen? The net was not broken. Don't worry about running. Listen, I hear this all the time. We may not have enough room. We can't hold this. Never let a capacity issue keep you from doing the work of God. Never let a capacity problem. Listen, he said the net was not broken. The church won't break. The net won't break. It's okay for overflowing people. Those things are okay. The buses won't break. The Sunday school classes won't break. He said the net wasn't broken, and that increased their faith. We've got to do everything we can to reaching people. And then we get to verse 12, and it says, Jesus made a wonderful invitation. Come and dine. Now, as we close this morning, what you notice is the Lord's faithfulness to you and me is this. When we've exhausted ourselves and we've depleted ourselves and we've spent ourselves out and we've worked ourselves hard and we've served all God we can, don't neglect your soul. 
Listen to the invitation of the Lord. He says, come and die. Come and fellowship. Make sure you don't neglect your soul. Make sure you take time to feed your soul and build up your life. Come and die. And don't you notice? Jesus took time to build up their souls. And the Bible says none of them asked who this was and uh, who art thou, asked him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord. And notice verse 13, then Jesus then cometh and taketh bread and giveth them and fishes likewise. Now, aren't you glad this morning Jesus knows where you're at, you and I are at and he feeds us and he helps us and he's faithful to us. Amen. Should have been these men serving Jesus. What a neat sight. They're coming to shore, coal of fires, the smell of fish, bread. He's toasting the bread. It's on this, whatever he's using to bake it. This familiar smell. He invites you, come and dine. And Jesus invites you, come and dine. Take of him. Take of the bread of life, which will feed your soul. Drink of the water of life that will get that you'll never thirst again. And Jesus got up and fed them. And sometimes, you know, when you get discouraged, you're down in the mouth, you're, you're down and just you're like these men were. You have need, need to let the Lord work in your life. Just let him feed you. Let him minister to you. You come to church, be still and know that he's God. Let God work in your heart. And then you'll notice here in this whole chapter. The focus is about the Son of God who died for their sins and rose again for the dead and commissioned them. Children, have you any meat? Christians, this morning, we need to be honest with God and tell Him yes or no. And I think for all of us, it should be no. <laughs> and come to the awakening that John did it's the Lord. It's the Lord who uses you. It's the Lord who loves you. It's the Lord who keeps you. And it's the Lord, even during these difficult moments, he tells us he loves us. And he reaches out to us. And he tries to feed our soul. And he invites us to come. But listen, he wasn't going to force them to come. They had to come and eat themselves. And they knew they were hungry. And are you hungry for Jesus? You're hungry for him to feed your soul and do something great in your life? Why don't you take time this morning? Why don't you take time where you're seated? And find your place at the altar. Step out with a little bit of boldness and courage. And find a place at the altar. And kneel down and say, God, feed my soul. Encourage me in the Lord. And if you're here today, you're not sure you're saved. He's dealing with saved people. But if you're not saved, the starting point for you is repenting of your sins. And calling on the name of the Lord to save you from all your sins. It's the Lord. It's the Lord. Children, are we immature? Have you any meat?